thanks for dialing into our podcast. We're the Light Church Bradford here in Yorkshire, England, a church committed to following Jesus and loving our city back to life again. We truly hope and pray this week's message helps you and encourages you on your journey, especially in these really challenging times. So it is great to go with week two and uh, I've continued to really enjoy preparing for this uh, even though the challenge of simplifying the message is significant. Anyway, a very quick recap for you if you didn't join us last week. So last week I showed you a picture of a huge tattoo being done on the back of one of our church members appearing on the screen now. And uh, I use this as an analogy. There's an analogy of how God paints our faith deeper and richer the longer we go on with him. How often when we start off in life, it's a reasonably kind of black and white outline drawing. But over time, he adds to it. He adds colour, he adds richness, he adds dimension to it. There may be some things that maybe were a key standout feature of our faith in our early years that then just kind of blends a little bit more in into other concepts. But the aim of it all is that we become more beautiful, that there might be some things that we are a bit less black and white on, but we still love Jesus and love God with our whole heart, mind, soul and strength. And the reason I brought this is because I believe this series, as we look at the concept of the kingdom of God, is one of those deepening, richening concepts that just we, we often step into a little bit later on in our faith. As we realise that the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is so much bigger and broader than simply how do I end up with an eternal relationship with God. And uh, so we took a quick look at how the phrase good news, gospel, good news and kingdom of God is used or kingdom of heaven as we learn kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven mean the same thing. Kingdom of heaven tends to be used by Matthew because he was preaching or writing to a Jewish audience and that was a concept they were familiar with. We saw how Jesus regularly told people to repent. The verb is metanoia. It means to change your mind and change your direction. So to turn away so we often think of it in Christian terms as being sorry for our old life. And it's true. It's a turning away from our old life, a changing of our mind that that is acceptable and right in how we treat God and how we treat others and moving in a different direction. So Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So the kingdom of God is near, it's coming. So you need to change your ways. He regularly spoke to people about the kingdom of God in Luke 9, 11. It says he welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He told his disciples to go and preach. And what did he tell them to preach? He said, go and preach the kingdom of heaven. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And when he taught, and he often taught in parables, he would regularly say, the kingdom of God is like. 
And so we got to see that the kingdom of God is a vital, vital concept in what Jesus was seeking to teach and proclaim and demonstrate in his life and ministry. So this week, and then the next week that I preach, which might be next week or it might be in a fortnight's time, we're going to look at what is it, where is it, and when is it. So today we're going to do what is it. But I've got to warn you, there are no easy, simplistic answers here. You're going to have to think about it, you're going to have to wrestle with it, you're going to have to chew it over like a really tough piece of meat uh, in your mouth. No one wants to imagine that, do we? Uh, but anyway, I know it's nice to have things wrapped up in neat little theological packages, but we are going deeper and things aren't always as straightforward and easy to explain as concepts as we would like them to be. And uh, so let's continue. So Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In those seven words, he was bringing a huge concept that would be right at the heart of his ministry and needs to be right at the heart of every church and every group of believers on this planet today. Those seven words, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in there, I believe there is the joining of two concepts that form the what is it of the kingdom of God. It starts with a king. The kingdom of God starts with the recognition that Jesus Christ, that God Almighty, is the king, is the ultimate ruler. Jesus was referred to as the king of kings. When we choose to pledge our allegiance to the king of kings, we enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come upon us. We decide to put ourselves under the rulership of the ruler of all rulers. He's the one who leads us, guides us, and has authority over us. However, as I mentioned uh, last week, it's interesting to note what Jesus sent his disciples out to teach. Because I think it's really, really interesting that he didn't send them out and basically say, go out and tell everyone I'm the king. In fact, he never told them to tell people that. And uh, I mean, I like to tell people that Jesus is the king because, you know, absolutely, I believe he is the ultimate rule and authority over all things. But he told them to go out and preach the kingdom of heaven. When he sat down to teach people, he didn't say, listen up guys, I am the king. And so this is what this means and this is what you need to do. Interestingly, he refers to himself as a king only on two occasions. So the first, and, and both of them are really, really quite subtle actually. So the first time he does this, uh, we read it in Luke 19. 
It says, after Jesus has said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. You might have noticed he didn't actually say he was a king in that. Because what he went on to do was to get the colt, the young donkey, he got to sit on it and he rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Still, you're not hearing any mention of him claiming to be king. You've got to turn to Zechariah in the Old Testament. Where Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus didn't tell them he was king. He made a decision to enact out the words of Zechariah to let the world know that he was king, well, to let the Jewish people know, because they were the one that knew the scriptures, that he was king, that he is king, but he's a different type of king. He comes lowly on a donkey. The second moment, he does actually say the words. This is where he is held before Pilate and he's basically being tried for being, yeah, an insurrectionist for being, well, basically the Jews wanted to get him killed because they thought he was a blasphemer. And, uh, and Jesus said this, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So if he's talking about my kingdom, he's suggesting he is a king. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Ha! Ah, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So I don't know about you, but I find it really interesting that Jesus himself didn't make a huge thing about his kingship, and yet made a big thing about his kingdom. And, and as I kind of wrestled with this, like, God, why was that? And I think it really was because he came to be a different kind of king, a different kind of ruler. He came to be a servant king. He came to be the one that, that was not about violence, that was not about oppression, that was not about manipulating people to be his, his followers, to be his subjects. But he came with love and wanted to love people into his kingdom rather than force himself onto people. And we see this because at his coronation, the moment he was crowned, was it with a beautiful gold crown full of sapphires and emeralds? No, it was with thick thorns that pierced his very skull and caused blood to drip down. 
But whilst he didn't talk a lot about being a king, he did talk a lot about believing in him, about trusting in him. And I think it's really, really important that we don't lose that fact. He said, he says, just a few quick verses at you. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. There's that thing, we've got to believe in him. John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And John 3.16 famously, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So he is the king. We invite him in and his kingdom comes. But your kingdom come, your will be done. So what is God's will? What is the kingdom of God? I wish there was a simple Bible verse I could say, go and look it up, John 14, whatever, Matthew 24, whatever, and say, there it is, black and white, this is God's will, this is however. That's not what he's given us. He's given us a spirit-inspired library of kind of books and letters and poems that we need to kind of work out what his will is and what his kingdom coming looks like. But if you want to know what the kingdom looks like, if you want to know what the overarching values of the kingdom are, then you need to look at the life lived by the king himself. And as we study the life of Jesus, we see the kingdom of God coming here on earth. But how to explain it, how to boil it down into a simple explanation? Well, I'm going I'm to try I love this explanation. It says, this is a kingdom of God, that God is utterly committed to fixing everything that is broken with people, everything that's broken with creation, and he is actively moving against everything that keeps it broken. You could say that God is working to drive out all forms of evil and dysfunction. You could say that God works against anything that hinders human flourishing. But in Jesus' life, it most often took the form of healing. And as we'll see in a minute, healing is much broader than the physical, but the physical is included. In fact, often when we see the kingdom of God mentioned, like in Luke 9, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Again, a few verses later, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. And Luke 10, 9, he said, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so healing and kingdom are absolutely, totally and utterly intertwined. But you know what? His plan for healing was bigger than just the withered leg, the blind eyes. It was the healing of broken relationships. That's why he told us to forgive one another. It was the healing of broken identities. That is why he helped us to understand that we have a father in heaven who loves us. It was the healing of broken minds. That's why he was called the Prince of Peace and he healed many a troubled mind. 
It was the healing of injustice of some living with much and others living with little such that he told the rich to sell their possessions and give that the poor might have. It was healing broken attitudes around sexual unfaithfulness, which is why he told us not to lust and to avoid adultery. It was around healing broken systems that exploit the world that he gave us to steward of taking care of creation, going back to that Genesis mandate to be stewards over all he has made. It was healing broken systems that deprived people of justice. And it was healing worldviews that see others as lesser based on their race or gender. And the greatest example of that is the parable of the Good Samaritan where he went against racist attitudes in the Jewish people and said, enough, enough. The kingdom of God is about the healing and restoration of all things. It's that beautiful word again, shalom. The wholeness of God's kingdom rule and reign. You know, actually, when we see Jesus doing so much physical healing, his healing was so much greater, even more so back then than it is today. As he physically healed the man with the withered arm, the woman with the issue of blood, blind Bartimaeus, as he did that, often he was restoring dignity because those people were outcasts. The lepers were outcasts. And he was saying, you who are on the fringes of society, come into the middle of all that we are and all that God has called us to be. He was often restoring economic prospects. There was no chance of working. There was no chance of, it was literally beg or die and probably both. But in healing people, he brought them back into economic health. Like we look after people like that nowadays with, with, with disability benefits and, and, and that sort of thing. But they had nothing like that back then. He was restoring them. For those tormented by, by demons, he brought them back to peace. So they no longer had to be shunned to the edge of the village. This is the kingdom of God. When this happens, in fact, he says it in Matthew 12, 28, if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons. And by the way, I know we all find demons a bit confusing, but think of it in its broadest, widest. A demon is kind of pretty much anything that is holding people back from the flourishing of life that God would have them. So when someone talks about the demon of their alcohol addiction, yeah, absolutely. But it's by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we have the king and we have the kingdom. Now, is it possible to have one without the other? Well, there's a really clear answer for you on that. No, yes, May maybe, um, but probably not, um, is really clear, isn't it? Uh, so there are some people 
who would say, Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my King. But actually, the focus of their lives, the way they live their lives, are not around bringing God's kingdom. Uh, People who have a kind of a faith and they maybe read their Bible and they pray, but it doesn't actually change how they live their lives. Their focus is not on the flourishing of of relationships around them, is not on the healing of the world, is not on fighting injustice, is not on the things of the kingdom. And so you've got this bizarre situation where you've got the king without the kingdom in someone's life. Now, I would say that if you're not actively seeking the healing and restoration of the world around you and the world within you, then I don't think Jesus really is king. He might be your friend. He might be your father. Bit of Trinity interplay there. I hope you're okay with that. He might be your saviour. But if life is about you, if you're not looking around you to see how do I bring God's kingdom, then I'm not sure Jesus is really king. But that's okay. You'll get a chance at the end of this to choose to make him. You know, his mandate to us was seek first the kingdom of God. And we need to be a people who, when we wake up in the morning, we seek first the king. And then we go through our day seeking first the kingdom, bringing bringing healing, bringing reconciliation to anything and everything that is broken within us or around us. But as well as there being the king without the kingdom, there is this phrase, the kingdom without the king, which any of you who are Mark Sayers Cultural Moment podcast fans will know exactly where I've been taught that from. And this basically is where there are times when your will be done. So where God's will is done, where his rule and his reign around issues often to do with kind of social injustice, uh, sometimes to do with bringing healing, sometimes around kind of creativity and beauty and flourishing of human relationships. Some of that can happen in and through and because of people who despise Jesus. Well, actually, they normally despise Christians rather than despise Jesus. But they don't have a good word to say. They don't believe in the divine. They don't believe that there is a God. But their their ethics and the way they dedicate themselves is seeing the kingdom come without the king. Is that the kingdom? I don't think it is. But in the words of Jesus... I believe the kingdom of God has come near. And by the way, let us praise God every time that happens. When people are no longer trafficked, yeah, we shouldn't care whether it was a Christian or a non-Christian who rescued, who campaigned, who supported. Now, of course, we love it when it's Christians because it's like, yes, that is the kingdom of God. You're actually doing what God has called you to do. When unjust practices of of corporate greed are challenged and dismantled. Well, who cares who signed the petition? Who cares who campaigned and lobbied because his kingdom is coming? Goodness and mercy and compassion and love is flowing 
like a never-failing stream and his kingdom has come near. So is the king without the kingdom? Is that the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom without the ki- is that the kingdom of God? Well, I tell you, scripture speaks pretty clearly, I believe, that when you put the two together, when you overlay them, that there the kingdom of God has come upon you. So what about you? What do you need to do to respond? Are you watching this and you've never really chosen to believe in Jesus, never mind making king? Well, the king has a beautiful kingdom. It's a kingdom that involves the healing and the restoring of all things. And he invites you into relationship with him so you might be changed from the inside. His kingdom comes in you and you get rid of anger and malice and bitterness and rage and it gets replaced by love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And I hope I've remembered every single one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, if you're wondering on the reference. And as that happens, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come. But maybe you know Jesus and you love Jesus, but you realise that your life is not really about the flourishing, the healing, the restoration of the world within you and the world around you. And it's time to take him from being your friend, your father and your saviour to bow the knee and say, I'm going to choose to make you king and I'm going to seek first your kingdom. Father, I pray for every single one of us who call Light Church home and anyone else who may get to watch watch this, that you would do a work in our hearts by your spirit such that we would would love you so much, honour you so much, respect and adore you so much that we choose to bow the knee and say, be my king and let me seek first your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. I'm really looking forward to where is it and when is it. I hope you've appreciated what is it. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, you made it to the end. That's even more encouraging. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, visit our website at thelightchurch.org.uk. We pray God's blessing on you now as you go into the rest of your day.